new message series over the next couple of weeks. Everybody ready to run through the Bible? We're not going to walk. We're going to run through the Bible over the next couple of weeks. And the ushers are coming to help us out. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to give you homework in the room. It's not take-home homework. You know when you were in school and they said, here's a test, but you get to use open book? It's open book test day today, okay? And the ushers are coming with these message maps, okay? These are pretty cool. They look like this. We've got one for everybody. We've got a pen for everybody today. And uh, I'm going to ask you to do something that we don't ever ask you to do, and that's everybody to uh, follow along this morning, to take notes with the message today. And uh, I think this will be something you want to keep with you. We're going to have one of these next week as we run through the, uh, the New Testament. But it actually worked out really good for us to do this because we're all suffering from one less hour of sleep. And these students who've been on the youth retreat are suffering from multiple less hours of sleep. So this is going to help you guys to stay engaged this morning. So um, here we go. Let's get ready today to run through the Bible. going to see the brilliance of God's Word. This, this message that you've heard, many of you, your entire life, some of you, this is new to you. And uh, I want to start this morning with a question. How many of you, you've grown up in church your whole life from the time you were born, you were born in, at church? How many of those people this morning are you? Okay, wow. How many of you, you came to church as a teenager or later, as an adult? Let me see your hand. How many of, of those of you? So we're actually about split in the room about half and half with that it looks like this morning. Now, for me, I was one of those kids that I've been in church my entire life. I can't remember anything different than church. Some of the great Bible stories that we all know, I, uh, I learned those stories as a little kid, like your kids are over in Kid City uh, in Sunday school. Anybody remember the flannel graph? Anybody old enough to grow up in church with flannel graphs, okay? And uh, some of y'all, y'all just missed out. I mean, you think you had it made, but man, nothing like the flannel graph. I've probably heard thousands of sermons in my life. I was privileged to go to uh, Lee University and uh, I was a music education major, but I took Old Testament, New Testament, and some theology courses. But with all of the Bible that I've had, there have been very few teachers, preachers, professors who hit the pause button and took a bird's eye view and pulled way back to show me the entire story and how it fit together from beginning to end. 
we take a story like Moses and the Israelites going through the Red Sea, and we're like, wow, that's a pretty cool story over there. And then there's a story of Jonah and this fish, and we're like, wow, did that really happen? And then there's a verse that says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And we know bits and pieces here and there, but sometimes we miss the flow of the context of God's word. Well, the Bible, in a nutshell, really is his story. And it's my prayer that as we go through this over the next couple weeks, his story will become your story, it'll become my story, and you'll also see your life as we run through the Bible over the next couple of weeks. Now, you're going to notice something as we go through this. Those of you who've got to have a lot of scriptures, just hang out. In, in two weeks, we'll start another series, and I'll get back to dumping truckloads of scriptures on you. But over the next couple of weeks, we're not going to have a lot of scriptures because we're going to pull way back. The whole thing is going to be scriptural. And so we're going to use these icons on this footprint that you've got to kind of walk us through the Bible. Uh, one reason why we're not doing that with the Old Testament is because the Old Testament is not written chronologically. Not all of it, at least. I mean, you can go for a certain amount of time, and if you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll follow along, but then you get about a third of the way through, and you're like, where in the world am I going? Where is this going? And so hopefully we're going to help to clear up some of those things as, as we talk this morning. But I do want to give you uh, one verse of Scripture this morning as we, as we get started, and it comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. And this is our only verse of scripture for the day, but this is the Apostle Paul. He's teaching his protege, Timothy, about the word, and look at what he says about the word. And coincidentally, this verse happens toward the very end of your Bible. He says, all scripture, somebody say, all scripture, scripture. is God-breathed, okay? That means God breathed all of it. God, all that's the word of God is from God. We don't have time in this series to tell us how we got the word of God. We'll do that on another day. We'll, we'll run through that another day. But he says it's useful for four things. For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness with a purpose. So that the servant of God, that's you and me, Jesus followers, God-loving people, can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So he says that everything that's in the Bible is there to equip us to run the race, to follow Christ, to do the things that he's called us to do. Now, when I look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament has, look at this, 39 books, 28 different authors, and this is mind-blowing if you stop and think about it, written over 2,000 years Think about how long 2,000 years. I mean, if we're blessed, we'll live, what, 70, 80, real good 90 years. But the Old Testament took 2,000 years to cover all the stories that are in the first part of your Bible. The New Testament, a lot shorter. It was written more over a generation, about 100 years. And there's 27 books in the New Testament and nine different authors. Someone once said this about the New Testament and the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Think about that for a second. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. 
and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It's really important that we don't skip past the Old Testament because anytime you read in the New Testament, Jesus or Peter or Paul say things about Scripture, they're talking about the Old Testament. Last week we said that Jesus, when he would say, you have heard that it was said, he was talking about the what? The Old Testament. A lot of our foundational truths and our doctrines of what we believe about God, the things that we just sang, are found in the Old Testament. It's been said, I heard a survey was conducted of evangelical churches and they surveyed the sermons that were being preached and they found that nine out of ten sermons that are preached in this survey are from the New Testament. That's not good. We don't need to forget the Old Testament. I'm glad that if you look at our message menu here at Rinkin Church of God, if you'll go back and look at the messages we've preached here over the last two and a half years, you'll find that we have spent extensive times in places like Daniel and Ruth and Genesis and the Psalms. And we've looked at characters like Joseph and uh, Elijah and, and others. And, uh, and so we try not to just stay in one place. We try to be very intentional to make sure that we're covering everything as, as much as we possibly can. How many of you uh, like to take pictures on, on one of these? Okay. Now when you see an advertisement for the new phone that comes out, they really don't talk about this part of it, do they? They talk about all the other things that it can do. And they really talk about, you know, this newest iPhone that came out has got three cameras on it. Or three, I don't even know how to explain it, but you saw the commercial, you know what I'm talking about. But these phones are amazing because now if you know what you're doing, you can snap a picture and you can edit that picture. You can, you can make it look pretty unbelievable. I know this is true and you guys do too because you've looked on social media and you've seen people like I have and you've said, I had no idea she was that pretty. I had no idea he was that good looking. He ain't that good looking in real life. She's not that pretty in real life. But, buddy, they are, you know, you can do something on the back end. Y'all know, yeah, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. And you can, you can take the shadows out. You can bring up the colors. You can put filters on it. Everybody with me? But think about the Old Testament and the New Testament this way. The Old Testament are like the unedited photos on your phone. They're shadows, they're not as clear, they're, they're unedited, sometimes they're not the best they could be, but the New Testament is like, wow, it's edited photos, they're crystal clear, the image is vivid, there's, there's no shadows anymore, and that's kind of the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament. And so this morning, as we run through the Old Testament, we're going to run through, I'm going to talk fast, i got to cover 2,000 years in about 30 minutes, all right? Is everybody ready to go? So the best place to begin is the first three words of your Bible, and that is what? In the beginning. And in the beginning, we come all the way over here, and here's the first icon. It is creation. This is the first icon on your footprint this morning, creation, the fall of man. We begin all the way over here, and God makes something from nothing. It's what we just sang in that song, So Will I. God makes something from nothing. Your Bible says he did it in six days and rested on the seventh day. Now, did he do that all in seven 24-hour days, or were they seven 1,000-year days? Or I don't know. I don't have that answer today. 
But it really is not that important. The fact is, is that God did it. God spoke everything in existence. And what I want you to see from the very beginning is this, that when God did that, the scripture says you and I were created in his image. That's a big deal. It's also a big deal for us to understand that at the very beginning, God did something special. When he made all of us, he gave us a choice. He takes Adam and Eve, he drops them in the garden, and he says, think about this. Everything you see is yours. You can enjoy it, you can, you can experience all of this, and everything's perfect. But see that one tree over there, don't eat of the fruit on that one tree. But what did they do? Given the choice, they disobeyed because they wanted to be rulers of their own lives. I do that too. Anybody else? Anybody else want to be rulers of your own life? Oh, y'all ain't going to be honest today, but I'll be honest with myself today. I'll preach to me. We want to be rulers of our own lives, right? Amen? God says there's that one thing that I want you to stay away from. And what's the one thing that we'll wind up sliding over to? That one thing. And so that's what happened in the very beginning. And here's the first point of application I want you to see this morning, and it's this. God initiates everything. He initiated it all from the beginning. He initiated the creation of man. He initiated creating us as people of God in his own image. And even when they were disobedient and God evicted them from the garden, look at what he initiated. We said last week they realized they were what? Naked. They sewed fig leaves together. But once God evicted them from the garden, the scripture says he took an animal he killed that animal, shed its blood, and took the covering and, of the skin and covered them. Right there in that moment was foreshadowing of something that would happen later on. He was redeeming them and covering them, and God initiated it. Were they disobedient? Yes, absolutely. But God stepped in and did something from the very beginning to bring them back to him. Now, between the fall... And creation between here and in there, there's a few other things that happen. We've got Cain and Abel were born, and boy, did they get it wrong. You thought your children were bad? Cain kills Abel. Then we move on to the flood, and God says, oh, man, it's just time to hit the restart button. And we get the flood, and we get Noah. And then we get the Tower of Babel. And then we come to these three gentlemen that this morning we're going to call the franchise players. All right, these are the franchise players of the Bible Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These guys are the franchise players. We've got Abraham, who has a son, his name's Isaac. Isaac has a son, and his name is Jacob. And these are the guys that we hear about all throughout Scripture the God of what? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why we call them the franchise players, because we hear about them all throughout Scripture. And here, here's what happens, okay? Abraham's old, he doesn't have any kids, and so God tells him, he says, you are going to be, a, be formed into a great nation. I mean, you're going to look in, look in the stars, Abraham. Those stars are going to be how many kids you're going to have. The sand of the, of the sea represents how many children you're going to have. And God makes this promise to these men who are not perfect. They're fallen. They're fallible. Actually, when we read their stories, they're liars. 
and they do things in the wrong way. They go to some of the wrong places. They make bad deals. They sleep with people that aren't their wives. And, but despite all of that, God speaks to Abraham and says, I am going to make you into a great nation. And what that tells me today is that God still uses us even when we're messed up. Anybody glad about that today? Somebody said it like this. They said, God hits straight licks with crooked sticks. How many of you are glad that God does that, even though you're a crooked stick? God still shows his grace and his mercy. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Jacob is really key to everything else that we're going to see that happens in the Old Testament because Jacob has 12 sons. And his 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel that you hear about on and on and on and on. And of the 12 sons, son number 11 would become his favorite son. And as we've talked about here before, we, we did a series on Joseph about a year ago. We learned that Jacob had no problem in showing his favoritism. He gave him a, a brand new robe. He set him up in, in a perfect place. But the brothers didn't like it at all. And we know that they sold him uh, in slavery to Egypt. Now, you thought your family was dysfunctional. At least your family didn't sell you to Egypt. So he gets, Joseph gets sold to Egypt. And, uh, and in that process, in this gap right here where we're at, God miraculously uses Joseph in ways, and he keeps getting job promotions. He shows up for one job, he'll get demoted, then he'll, he'll take two steps uh, back, and then he'll take two more steps forward. I mean, Joseph just makes it all the way up to the top to where this Hebrew boy, the great-grandson of Abraham becomes the second in command in all of Egypt. And at the time, God arranged all this because you'll remember there was a famine going on. And all of the Jewish people didn't have any food. They were running out of food. So guess where they have to go to get food? They have to go to Egypt to Joseph, a Jewish man, a Hebrew, to get food. And so during the famine, all of the Jews wind up traveling to Egypt. They they kind of like it. They realize, okay, hey, that's one of our guys who's up there in charge. And they camp out in Egypt for decades and decades and decades. And what we found out right here with God's word when he said that you will be made into a great nation started to happen right here. Because the nation of Israel begins to multiply and multiply and multiply. And there's so many people in Egypt... That eventually the Egyptians say, we can't deal with this anymore. And so they put them all in slavery. And all the Egyptians put the, put the Hebrews in slavery. And they began to work for them. And for 400 years, the Jewish people are in slavery to the Egyptians. We got a problem. And then in steps a guy named Moses. Moses was kind of like these guys. He kind of came out of nowhere in his selection and his placement. He's out in the desert one day looking after some sheep. A bush catches on fire. A voice speaks to him and says, Moses, you are going to deliver my people. And so Moses is put in a position where we see the next icon, the Exodus. Moses leads God's people 
to freedom. Moses leads Israel to freedom. It's interesting because what we're seeing again right here is God picking unlikely people to do some amazing things. Moses, he, um, he's got a problem. He stutters, and he's not very eloquent, and he gives God a lot of excuses why he can't be used. But God picks him up and uses him anyway to see that the Israelites are released from bondage, thus the icon. And also, Moses is a type and shadow of Jesus because Jesus would come along and release us from our chains and our bondage, amen, of sin and of death. And Moses being used by God was a symbol of Jesus, of what Jesus would do. So Israel is emancipated. They're freed. God takes them into the desert, and he takes them down to the place where everything goes on. We're talking about Mount Sinai. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about all of the covenants that are passed down uh, to, uh, to Moses. We're talking about the schematics for a temple that would hold the presence of God. So all of that, Moses received receives all of that, he gets the instructions, and he brings them down to them, and they're all ready for it, right? Nope, he finds them at the bottom of Mount Sinai worshiping a cow. Thus begins the multiple dysfunction that is the Israelites. They can't get it right. They can't follow the instructions. And so, listen, what should have been a 40-day journey, maybe, a 40, 52-month journey through the desert to get to the promised land that God had promised Abraham to send them to, what began as a 40-day journey began a 40-year journey of wandering in the wilderness. Moses leading this bunch of people around who were complaining who were arrogant, who just who never could be obedient to what God was calling them to do. And that applies to our lives as well because here's the thing. When we're obedient, rewards and blessings will follow. When we're disobedient, we wind up in slavery and we wind up wandering around for decades and decades and decades. Have you ever met anybody who had they made some good decisions at the right times in their lives in maybe 30 or 40 days, their lives could have been completely different. But for 30 or 40 years, their lives are just wandering around, making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? And that was the people of Israel. Bad decisions, and because of their disobedience, instead of them going easily from point A to point B, God causes them to wander all around for 40 years until finally he says, you're all just going to, this entire generation is going to die off and we're going to let your children and your grandchildren close the ultimate real estate deal. And that's what brings us to the next one. Conquest. The ultimate real estate deal. 
So way back here, all the way back here, the promise that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promise that they would go into the promised land, that they would have a place created, God created for them. This promise comes all the way over here after 40 years of wandering. Now, in steps a new character, the character of Joshua. Joshua steps up, and Joshua is the, the man who has the job to lead these Hebrews into the promised land. But here's the deal. God says, as you sign on the dotted line with this real estate deal, Joshua, here's what you've got to do. You've got, follow this, the 12 tribes of Israel, which came from Jacob's sons, right? The 12 tribes of Israel are, are who you're taking into the land all right, you're taking these 12 tribes, and as you go into this land, here's what you've got to do. You've got to destroy every ungodly thing in the land, every ungodly uh, thing of worship, every ungodly uh, group of people. You've got to destroy them all. And so as they go through the land in the book of Joshua, they begin to destroy them here. They begin to destroy them there. But were they completely obedient? No. They didn't destroy everybody. They, they did some things the way they thought they should do. And here's what I've learned about my life, and you probably have too. Partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Would it be okay for me to be partially obedient? I mean, partially, uh, it probably would be okay for me to be partially obedient to her. She would like that. Would it be okay for me to be partially faithful to my wife? No. Is it okay for you to be partially faithful on your job to your responsibilities? No, because partial obedience is disobedience. And when we fail to deal with the sin in our lives, it will come back to bite us. I mean, think about it. God has given them the promised land. He's doing what he said over here he was going to do. It's all for them. They've just got to be obedient, walk in and take care of everybody who, is, who God says take all these people out. But they're disobedient and it comes back to bite them. And thus they step into the next phase. Now we've had notice our leaders, if you're tracking along, we've had leaders like Abraham, incredible leader. We've had an incredible leader like uh, Joseph right here, amazing leader. We've had an amazing leader right here called Moses. We've had another amazing leader called Joshua. But are they getting it right? No, they just can't get it right. So then they step into the next phase from Joshua over to the judges. And the judges are those who will lead them in what we're going to call the spin cycle of rebellion. Anybody ever uh, throw any tennis shoes in the dryer? My kids throw their tennis shoes in the dryer and I'm like, who in the world is being beat in the other room? What is going on in there? And you go in there and there's the tennis shoes in the dryer. The spin cycle. And that's what happened to the Israelites. They get in this spin cycle in the whole book of Judges where, watch this. They forget God. They fall. They fail. And then they ask for forgiveness. 
They forget God, they fall, they fail, and they ask for forgiveness. And all along in this spin cycle, there are judges that are put in place. Men like Samson. Men like Samuel, men like Gideon who are raised up to try to lead them to say, you need to get out of the cycle. But when you read through the book of Judges, all it is is Israel doing the same thing over and over and over again. Forgetting God, falling, failing, asking for forgiveness. Forgetting God, falling, failing, asking for forgiveness. Does that sound like anybody you know? Forgetting God, falling, failing, asking for forgiveness. Thank you, Brad, for the other hand up. Anybody else know who you're talking? I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. The spin cycle, the sin spin cycle of rebellion, and they go through this for hundreds of years until we've had all these judges. Now let's think about it again. Let's, we're running through, so let's run through. Amazing leader in Abraham. We got this great leader in Moses. We've got this great leader, I'm sorry, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua. We have Samson. We have um, Barak. We've got uh, Gideon. We've got uh, Samson. Uh, We've got Samuel. We've got all these amazing guys. But then they get to this point in the story and they do what all of our children do. They say, He's got a new bicycle. I want a new bicycle. He's got a new iPhone. I want a new iPhone. They've got the new iWatch. I want a new iWatch. But it's not just our kids and teenagers who do it. He's got a new flat screen TV, so I got to get me a new flat screen TV. He's got a new boat. I got to get me a new boat. Oh, anybody getting convicted yet? The altars are open if you need to come and pray. They get to this point here to where the Israelites, they're realizing this judges thing didn't work out. They're getting further and further away from God. And they start looking around at all the other countries who are not serving God, who are serving uh, false gods, who are a long ways away from God. And they see what they have and they say, we want a king too. We want a king too. And Samuel, the last judge... The last referee, he's blowing his whistle with everything he can at the, at the children of Israel and saying, no, 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 you don't need a king. You're supposed to be set apart. You're supposed to be different. This is the thing that's going to make you different than everybody else. You don't need a king. God is your king. And they just kept saying, we want a king too. We want a king too. And that's where hashtag we want a king too was all over social media, everywhere throughout Israel. It was trending in the book of Kings. Hashtag, we want a king too. We want a king too. And so God says, okay, it's not really what I want to do, but since this is what you want, and watch this, we started this morning by saying that all the way over here in the garden, God made us in his image, but he made us with a choice. He gave us with the opportunity to choose our way. And so all the way over here, they say, we want a king. They don't listen to the last judge. So God says, okay, we'll move into the next phase of this thing. And you can have a king. And so the first king they get raised up, man, he's a stud, y'all. I mean, he walks out. He's tall. He's handsome. He's got it going on. He don't have a six-pack. He's got an eight-pack. He's on the cover of Israel's GQ. He is Saul. 
and he is the man. And, and he, he starts leading, and everybody thinks he's, he, he's the man to follow. And they're like, man, wow, we finally got us a good king. He's tall, he's handsome, he's good looking. But he's lazy, and he's a coward. Because there's a big old giant who's walking out who starts defying the armies of God. And Saul won't even take the armies out there to fight against Goliath. So God sends this little boy from way back here working in the, with his sheep. He sends him out to the front lines and says, hey, you think you're coming against all these people. You're really coming against me and God. And Kills Goliath, remember? Maybe one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. And Saul, this mighty king, turns into a whining baby full of envy and jealousy. And he will spend the rest of his kingdom trying to kill David. One of the most bipolar people in all of Scripture. He invites him to his house and says, I'll give you a job here. He starts playing the harp and then he's throwing spears at him, trying to kill him. He hunts him down in caves and David's like, Saul, I had the opportunity to kill you. I cut the end of your robe off. See? Oh, I'm so sorry, David. But Saul was so eaten up with jealousy that he couldn't remain in this place. So finally, he exits stage left and David comes up. And wow, what an incredible King David was. I mean, David didn't take any junk. I mean, he starts destroying countries left and right. I mean, David really was the man that they needed in control right here because they would have taken the land and nobody would have been left. I mean, David is an amazing leader. He makes it all the way to the top until he decides to go shopping at Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> and he has an incredible fall. He commits adultery and murder all within the same amount of time. Talk about the spin cycle, right? And then his kingdom begins to crash and burn. And David's greatest desire was to build a temple for God. And he began to create the schematics for it. But God said, no, you're not going to do it. You're, you're a man of war. All these things have happened in your past. I'm going to allow your son Solomon to do it. So David goes uh, away. And then it's Solomon's turn. And Solomon shows up. And for a little while, I mean, he's got it going on. He shows incredible amounts of wisdom. He makes some incredible decisions. He builds the temple. We read about that in the book of, of uh, First or Second Kings. He builds, he builds an incredible temple to God. But then in the process of all of that, because he's hobnobbing with the kings of the other land, he decides that for political alliance, he'll take some wives from uh, the daughters of the other kings. And he begins to intermarry with other kings from everywhere. He begins to have wives who aren't from Israel. He begins to bring in the worship of other gods and deities that are not Jehovah God alone. And so now his whole stock begins to plummet. And now we get to the place to where at the one time in the history of Israel when the, the United Kingdom, and think about it this way. Remember, go back to this spot. We had Jacob who had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel here, the 12 tribes are under one monarchy. It's the United Kingdom under Saul, then David, then Solomon. But they can't keep the kingdom together. So what happens after all this progression, watch this. We've progressed through this. They, they just can't get it right. No matter where they're at, 
They're here in bondage. They get freed. They wander around for 40 years. They get to this point in the, in the uh, conquest deal, and they can't finish the deal. They can't kill off all the other people. They get here, and they can never obey the judges. They get here. They can't work out with the kings. And so finally, what happens is Israel gets to the point to where they turn on themselves. And civil war takes place, and this kingdom that they had wanted and desired is split. And we find out in the books of Kings and the books of Chronicles that there was a division in the kingdom. Israel in the north and Judah in the south. So in the north, Israel takes ten of the tribes of Jacob. In the south, Judah has two of the tribes in the south. And the kings began to rule and, and reign over both these different nations. In the north, Israel, the Bible says, never has a good king. They have 19 bad kings. In the south, Judah has 8 good kings and 12 bad kings. What makes a good king and a bad king? Well, a good king isn't based on his ability to be a great administrator. A good king is based on his ability to follow the word of God. And so in this northern kingdom of Israel, they have no good kings. They have 19 bad kings. Here's the application that's so clear. Watch this. Everybody look. When we look to man for answers, hashtag we want a king too, we're going to end up living a divided life. Here's God right here in the gap. The last judge, the last referee, the last one with the whistle in his mouth. Samuel saying, no, 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 no. You do not want a king. No, we got to have a king. And they step out of sight of what God wants them to do. And eventually the kingdom is split in two. The king's divided. And then we have the exile. The prophets who show up. Now, you know about the end of Scripture, the end of the Old Testament, rather. We've got all these books and all of these names of all these people. Like you've got Elijah and Elisha and Hosea and Michael and Nahum and, and uh, Daniel and Ezekiel and, and Jeremiah. And all these different names are men who were prophets raised up by God to speak to the kings in these two kingdoms. If you, if you look at the, the, the line of chronologically how it goes, those prophets are speaking, some are speaking in the north, some of them are speaking in the south, and their job is what's on the screen. The prophets were used by God to be the mouthpiece of God. Sometimes we think that prophets are like fortune tellers. They weren't, they weren't fortune tellers at all, but they played the role of covenant watchdogs. They were always taking a look at, watch this, the covenant that was given to Moses right here in this gap when he went to Mount Sinai. This is the way we're supposed to live. And the prophets are always saying, hey, you're not living up to the covenant. You're serving these gods and you're serving uh, these gods. And you're so far away from living for the real God. They were constantly reminding them that your job is to be different. You're supposed to be a light to the other nations. You're supposed to uh, repent. You need to come back to God. 
So where are the prophets found? When you look at the end of, your old, of, end of the Old Testament and you see all those books with all those names that we just mentioned. Well, some of those names of the prophets, they have their own book. Some of them have their own book. Some of them don't. Guys like Elijah and Elisha who had some of the most amazing adventures and, and missions and stories, they don't have their own book. Their stories are found in places like First and Second Kings. But a lot of these guys have books named after them. Now, are the, where are the prophets in all of this? Are they way, way over here? No. It's good to understand this because... For a lot of us, the end of the Old Testament's a little blurry, right? Anybody ever feel like you kind of, I kind of know what's going on in this section, but the end of the Old Testament's kind of blurry? The prophets show up here. They speak here. They speak here in the eviction and in the exile, and they'll also speak here in the return. So all these prophets that show up will be showing up at different times all throughout Israel's history. And here's what happens, okay? We're, we're almost to the end here. We're running through we have the split of the two kingdoms, and then we've got the eviction. And here's what happens. I told you that the ones from the north never had a good king, right? So the northern kingdom, because they could never get it right, they just eventually fall to the Assyrians. History tells us that the Assyrians come in, they destroy the northern kingdom of Israel, and we never hear from ten of the twelve tribes again. Remember when we set them up way over here? from Joseph and Jacob, we never hear from them again. They're scattered all throughout. And then the Babylonians come and they take over the southern kingdom of Judah, the two tribes of uh, Judah and Benjamin. They take over them and many of the Jewish people are removed. Uh, Babylon comes in, they destroy the city of Jerusalem, they destroy the temple, and they take every way, everybody in bondage to Babylon. And that's where you get the stories like Daniel and, and his whole story and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all of them all throughout stories. So once again, look at, look at where we've gone, okay? Way over here, they were in what? Bondage. They were freed. Now, way over here, we're back in bondage. The sin-spin cycle of, of rebellion isn't just for the book of Judges. It's what they did over and over and over. And eventually, remember the whole deal was, franchise players, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Are they becoming a nation? Are they getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Do they have great moments? Yes, they have some great moments, some not so great moments. I am going to send you to the promised land. I have a place I'm going to make for you. They get to the promised land here. They camp out in it. They can't get it right. They have kings for the promised land, and eventually, boom. You can't be obedient. You can't do what I've called you to do. So God removes them from the promised land, and they wind up in exile. Again, the whole northern kingdom, gone in Assyria. But there's the southern kingdom, camped out in Babylon, and here's what happens. Here's what I want you to see before we get to this last one. This is so important for us to understand the flow of Scripture that the simplest thing is something that follows us all throughout the story. From the very beginning, we said God created us with what? Somebody? Choice. God did not create us as robots. He could have, but he didn't. He wanted us to choose to follow him. And all throughout, we're seeing some good choices and some bad choices, right? 
Good choices and poor choices. But here's the deal. God allows us to choose our choices, but we don't get to choose our consequences. It's a free country. I can do what I want to do. I get to make my own choices. Yeah, God says you can make your own choices, but you don't get to choose your own consequences. And when we look to man instead of God, we will end up with a divided life, and God will allow us to be ruled by our poor choices. Anybody ever lived in some times like that in your life where you had to live out in a place because of your poor choices? Y'all going to help me this morning? Anybody been there? Been there, done that? No fun, right? So this is where they are. They find themselves in this place. And as this remnant of people from Judah are left in Babylon, here's what happens. We have the Assyrians who have taken over northern kingdom. We've got uh, the southern kingdom in Babylon. And then the Medes and the Persians in 539 B.C., they overcome Babylon. And so there's this new king who comes to rule Babylon in 539 B.C. named King Cyrus. Your Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hands of God. And so God begins to move the heart of King Cyrus and says, moves this, this guy, he's not a believer in God. He's not close to God. But God moves his heart and says, I want you to send those Jewish people back home. And so they get to go back home to Jerusalem. And that's this last one right here, the return. And it's time now for them to rebuild and renovate. And so they have the opportunity, the Jewish people do, to return back to Jerusalem. And that's where we get, that's where it gets kind of confusing in the Old Testament. Because right in the middle of the Old Testament, we've got books like Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther. When really, if it was in chronological order, they would fall kind of at the end of the Old Testament. But... Ezra comes along and he's a governor and a priest and he, he leads worship, a renewal of worship in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. They begin to rebuild the temple. Then Nehemiah comes along. We know what he does, right? He's known, he's famous for rebuilding the what? He rebuilds the walls and he's, he's getting things back together. But throughout the whole Bible, all of this has happened. It's interesting. If you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, when it comes to the end of those two books, what's interesting is there's really not a, a happy ending at the end of those books. Even the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, Malachi says, you're under a curse because you're still not living for God. You've still been in the spin sin cycle of rebellion and you're still not living for God that's why the Old Testament instead of it being a forward motion of history really the Old Testament is like sideways movement you see what I mean because it's always moving sideways it's like they can never get it and move forward but here's what we see and if you guys will begin to come and get ready to finish this out this morning Tressa this is what we see. In this process of Scripture, as we go from the, uh, from the beginning to the end, God reveals himself throughout the Old Testament more and more. God begins to, remember a while ago I told you about the pictures, the shadows, the icons, the color. As 
God begins to move in the Old Testament, he begins to reveal more and more of himself as we go through the Old Testament. Watch this. God reveals a, early on a plan of redemption here in the garden. Over here, he begins to give us a type and a shadow of what it looks like for us to be freed from bondage. Over here, he begins to show us that he has plans for our lives and what he wants us to live in. And so much of what God does in our lives and the way he moves in our lives is mirrored all throughout this story of the Old Testament. We see God's judgment. We see God's warnings that result in the judgment of the kingdom being split up. And even here, we see that God gives them the opportunity to repent and return back to the place. And then we wind up here. The end of the Old Testament and silence. God's phone on silence for 400 years. We said it a moment ago, for 2,000 years it takes all these stories to fall into place. God's been speaking through prophets, priests, and kings, normal people, ordinary folks. But all of a sudden we get here to the end of the book and God's voice goes silent. And you thought it was just a blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. For 400 years, there's nothing. And it's in this gap that the Pharisees show up, the Sadducees show up. They start taking all these pieces of the law that were downloaded to Moses and they start adding all their stuff to it. That's why when Jesus showed up, it was a teetotal wreck. Because for 400 years, they had heard nothing. Not only do you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees camped out in Jerusalem getting this, this newfangled way of belief and religion kind of based on the law but kind of their own thing. We've also got now the Greeks and the Romans have moved into town and now they're running things. And God's phone is on silence for 400 years. That's the Old Testament. We've talked about the context and some of the concepts. But when it comes down to it, what is the content of the Old Testament? If I asked you in one word, could you tell me the content of the Old Testament? You might pick a word that would come close to fitting, but you may not pick the word that I'm going to use this morning. And it's the one that really doesn't seem to be that obvious, but it's Jesus. Jesus. Because the Old Testament essentially is a hymn book. It's all about Him. Everywhere you look, if you look close enough, you'll see Him. If you, if you look in the stories, the types, the shadows... Jesus is there. 
I would challenge you that if you're reading the Old Testament and you're not seeing Jesus, you're not reading it right. Really, Pastor? I'm serious. So as you begin to read these stories that you've read for so many years, you've, you've heard this story of Moses' deliverance of the Israelites your whole life. Now start reading and say, where do I see Jesus at? Where do I see Jesus in, in the books of the kings? How do, I, how do I see Jesus in the prophets and the voice? The whole thing leads to Jesus. How? What do you mean? Well, in Genesis... He's the creator. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's our cloud by day, our fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the captain of the Lord's armies. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Samuel, he's our prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's our worship. In Nehemiah, he's our wall builder. In Esther, he's our Mordecai. In Job, he's our healer. In Psalms, he's our good shepherd, and he's my good shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he's the initiator of marital love. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Nehemiah, he's the wall builder. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wheel within the wheel. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the one who pours out his spirit on all flesh. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's our hope of restoration. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist. In Zephaniah, he's our savior. In Haggai, he's our restorer. In Zechariah, he's our fountain. And in Malachi, he's our tithe. I'm talking about the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus. Oh, let's sing it today. Shine your light and let the whole world see. Yeah. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Save body to save. Savior. salvation he rose and conquered the grave 
Testament is his story and I said hopefully you'll see your story in this story how many of you have seen yourself in much of this story today just kind of nod at me if you've seen yourself the good the bad and the ugly right so let's talk about a couple of things this morning that we need to to take care of before we leave today let's begin with the word that really is the key word of the whole story, and we'll continue in the next week when we look at the New Testament, that's the word choice. God's given all of us a choice of what we're going to do. Are we going to put Him first? Or are we going to disobey? It's amazing when you think about it at the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they were given everything they could possibly have, but they chose the wrong thing. Think about all the things that God has blessed you and I with. But we still choose the what? We choose the wrong thing from time to time. So this morning, if you're here today and, and man, you'd say, Pastor, yeah, that's me. I'm making some bad choices in my life and I, I, need, to, I need to get some things in line. Let's pray about that. Some of you, you're right here. You're trying to sit on the throne of your own life. You want a king too, but you want to be the king too. That's your hashtag. Hashtag, I want to be king too. Anybody like that? Give me a halfway nod, a little bit of a nod. Anybody want to try to rule your own life? We do. We all do that from time to time. But the great thing about this story, if you'll notice, even though it never really seems to move forward, it's always a sideways movement of history. Next week, we're going to push it forward big time. But at every step, God is always there revealing a different part of himself and offering forgiveness and redemption, second chance, third chance, fourth chance, multiple chances. That's what we see. You remember right in the gap, right, everybody follow me now. I'm not going to re-preach it, although I feel like I, I want to. But remember in this gap right here, there was the flood, and God almost said, nah, I'm done, right? God, God could have just finished it all right there. But he had a plan in place, and he was not willing to give up on us. Amen? Anybody glad to know that God's not giving up on you? And He's not. I want to tell you that today. God's not giving up on you. If He would not give up on this bunch of losers, He's not giving up on this bunch of losers. Amen? So, you know, it's just as simple as no matter where we're at, if it's the first time we're coming to Christ, and most of you here know the Lord and are walking with the Lord, but hopefully this is a reminder to say, hey, I need to put my choices back in line to put him first. I need to get off the throne because every time I'm on the throne, I live a divided life. I mean, anybody there? Like, okay, that was mine. Can I take that sign home, put it in my living room just to remind me? You know, somebody's thinking that today. But let's pray this morning. And uh, everybody bowing our heads and closing our eyes today. How many of you would say this morning, we're going to do this real quick, hands up, hands down, Pastor, 
pray for me. I need to pray today. I'm making some bad choices. Hands up, hands down, go. Yep, there they are, a bunch of hands. How many, I'm trying to sit on the, my throne. I'm trying to sit on the throne of my own life, and I need to make him first. Anybody like that? Hands up, hands down. I'm trying to sit on the throne of my own life. Yeah, a lot of us are in those, in those places. How many would say, man, I just need to, kind of like they did here at the end of the story, I need to come back to the things that are important in my life putting God first. Anybody like that? I need to put I need to put God first. I got to put some things back. Wow. I'm so glad that so many hands went up this morning and I'm so glad that he is as we just sang mighty to save and able to touch us today. Father, we are amazed this morning at your story. Your story is our story and we do see ourselves in your story today. And God, I just ask you this morning this as we pray and we look to you that God, every life, every situation today in this place, every person, God, who's battling with their choices, they say, I'm making some poor choices. Those who have raised their hands and they're saying, I'm trying to sit on the throne of my own heart. Those who are saying they need to return to you as a priority. I pray this morning that, God, you would just speak into their lives. God, I pray that they would have the courage to turn everything over to you completely. God, that they would surrender their lives to you, their choices to you, the throne of their hearts to you, and return to the things that are important. Jesus, as we walk out of this room in a few minutes and we go back into our week and we go back to work and school, Lord, remind us of those things that are in us, Lord, that aren't like you. Cause us, Lord, to to see that there is hope for restoration. There's hope in you today. We just praise you and thank you for that today. Nobody looking around right now. Is there anybody here today who would say, Pastor, I just need to make a decision for Christ. I need to make a decision to make Jesus the Lord of my life today. I need to put him first. And uh, I need to make a commitment today to follow Jesus all the days of my life. If that's you, I want to pray with you today. Would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? Is there anybody like that today? Thank you. I see a hand that just went up. Anybody else who would say, I need to make that prayer today. I want to say that prayer to make Jesus priority in my life. I want to choose to follow him. I've been trying to do it on my own, and he's not, he's not in control of my life. Anybody else today? We're going to pray that prayer this morning that we've prayed so many times. And I'm going to ask all of us to pray it today as, as we're going to pray with somebody who raised their hand this morning. If you didn't raise your hand, you can pray this prayer this morning. And as we pray it, we believe what the Bible tells us, that uh, he who confesses his sin, that God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let's pray together today. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he took my sins to the cross. That he died in my place. And I believe you raised him to life. I'd like to accept him now as my savior. I want to follow him as my Lord. From this day forward, I make this choice in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God, we praise you for that today. Will you give the Lord praise today? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.
All right, we made it. We made it. We ran through the Old Testament. We didn't have all the sleep we needed, but we made it, all right? So make sure you're here next week. We're going to finish the story. We're going to run through the New Testament, and we hope to see you then. Have a great afternoon. God bless you.